All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today is a free agent Friday where I will be breaking down some of the top edge rushing options for the Falcons this March, as well as discussing the cuts of Ricardo Allen, Allen Bailey and Kurt Baker. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the locked on podcast network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. Been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at Falcfans.com. RIP, still going strong on Twitter at Falcfans. And, of course, the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's Locked On Falcons episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code Locked On, and you'll receive 20% off your next order. Today's episode is a free agent Friday, the first of a series of Friday episodes that we're going to do over the next month leading up to free agency, breaking down a different position group that the Falcons should or could or will target in the upcoming March free agent period. And we're going to start things off talking about the edge rushers. I'm going to give you sort of who I like, who I don't necessarily like, who I think the Falcons could sign. So we'll go through it, you know, some expensive options, some mid-tier options, some cheaper options. But before we get into that, we do have some news from third. Thursday, where the Falcons started their salary cap purge, uh, some of the turnover that we're going to see, we're going to see probably a little bit more uh, throughout this offseason. And they started out by cutting Ricardo Allen, Allen Bailey and Kurt Banker. Those three cuts free up about $11.4 million in cap space, putting the Falcons currently based off of OverTheCap.com's projections for the $180 million salary cap, about $20 million over that cap. And we also got news on Thursday that the NFL sort of officially will set the floor for this upcoming year's salary cap at $180 million, which is higher than the $175 million that they did prior to the season. So, you know, it looks like the Falcons uh, won't maybe have to do nearly as much uh, maneuvering potentially if they continue to, that cap figure continues to rise. But on the note of the cuts, you know, the cutting Ricardo Allen, cutting Adam Bailey were not surprises. Cutting Kurt Binkert was a bit of a surprise. You know, I didn't think his chances of sticking on the roster this year were particularly high. Um, but I think, you know, the Falcons would potentially bring him back to camp to compete for a potential roster, you know, third quarterback spot, practice squad spot, potentially. We already knew that the Falcons were almost certainly going to invest the quarterback position, invest at their quarterback depth this offseason. So if you were still on the fence about that, you know, I think this move definitely should be the final nail in that coffin in terms of signaling that. But right now, currently, Matt Ryan is the only quarterback on the Falcons roster with Matt Schaub being a free agent and retiring. Now, Kurt Bankert is being waived. And so, you know, at least the team is going to bring in at least two quarterbacks this offseason, possibly three. And I, I'm pretty certain that one will definitely be a draft pick, like 99.9% certain of that. And the other one will probably be a veteran. And, um, you know, who that veteran is going to be, you know, I don't expect the Falcons to spend a, a large amount of money on the on the backup quarterback because, again, I think they want to draft a guy and they don't want to necessarily be in a position where they're forced due to guaranteeing a significant amount of money to keep three quarterbacks on the roster when they don't necessarily need to. Um, so I think they'll probably go a cheaper route, which potentially precludes them from going after someone like a Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, but, you know, maybe someone like a Tyler Bray, Matt Barkley, who played 
for Dave Ragone in Chicago over the last couple of years, uh, you know, could be an, a potential veteran option. So I expect Kurt Banker to catch on somewhere. You know, I think he's certainly a good enough guy to, to compete elsewhere in this league and potentially catch on as a reserve somewhere. As for Alan Bailey, again, there isn't much to say. He didn't really do much in his two years in Atlanta. His release was pretty much a no-brainer. He turns 32 next month, so we'll see if he gets some nibbles on the open market. But I think there is a decent chance that maybe we've seen Alan Bailey play his last down in the NFL, unless Bob Sutton could convince Urban Meyer to pick him up in Jacksonville this year. Ricardo Allen, again, not a surprise. The Falcons saved about $6 million dollars. By cutting Ricardo Allen, he's coming off his worst NFL season. And as I said in the safety review episode that I did um, in either late January or early February, you know, I thought Ricardo Allen played, you know, excellent uh, for five years prior to this past year from 2015 to 2019. There was significant drop off this past year. I don't know if that was just age. I don't know if that was an unreported injury from his part because we did see over that final month of the season, he started platooning with Sherrod Neesman at free safety even before Ricardo Allen was dealing with a concussion. Um, but, you know, the thing I loved about Ricardo Allen was his consistency, his reliability. You guys always hear me talk about, you know, players doing their job, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. And no, Ricardo Allen wasn't a big time playmaker, but he did his job. And whether that was playing single high free safety, whether that was covering wide receivers in the slot, whether that was covering running backs, whether that was switching over to strong safety for the second half of 2019 when the team had a glaring issue there due to Keanu Neal's injury, whether it was making reliable open field tackles, Ricardo Allen was the guy that you could rely on to do his job. And I think that's one of the reasons why he's very underrated by a lot of fans, because those are the types of things that go largely unnoticed by most fans, because they're only focused on how many splash plays you get and Ricardo Allen wasn't a guy that was getting a ton of splash plays so we'll see what's next for Ricardo Allen you know he's 29 years old currently and I'm sure there will be potentially teams out there looking to sign him to be a sort of mid-level veteran uh, leader in their secondary or possibly a third safety obviously there's former coaches like Marquand Manuel with the Jets Dan Quinn with the Cowboys Raheem Morris with the Rams that could wind up picking him up and all of those teams have needs at the safety position and certainly in terms of at the very least depth, if not potentially being a starter for any one of those teams, should they lose certain players in free agency, all three have their free safeties. Well, John Johnson is technically a strong safety, but all three of those teams have at least one starting safety, uh, you know, about to hit the market. So, We'll see what happens with Ricardo Allen. He's already sort of publicly stated that he fully intends to be a, a coach. And, you know, presumably if he doesn't get the right offer to continue to play football, he'll start, you know, maneuvering himself to uh, get into the coaching. And I wish him the best. I think certainly, you know, these last six plus years, seven years, uh, if you count his rookie season on the practice squad have been, you know, very good seasons. One of the, you know, as good a career you can have outside of maybe Grady Jarrett as a former fifth round pick. So, uh, hats off to Ricardo Allen. You know, I think there's going to be more moves because the Falcons still have cap space that they have to get rid of. Um, that's going to include restructures. That's probably going to include more cuts. I think James Carpenter is certainly on that list, possibly Tyler Davidson, possibly Dante Fowler. You know, I'm sure some of you are like, why isn't Carpenter going to get cut today? Why wasn't he cut on Thursday? And, you know, my best guess is, I don't know the reason for it, but my best guess is because Carpenter was injured late in the season. You know, there's typically a little bit more paperwork, I guess you could call it, uh, involved when you cut an injured player. You know, you got to sort of get an injury settlement or, or whatever the case may be. So I think that may be a factor in why the Falcons didn't decide to move on from James Carpenter as of yet. But I'm sure they will try to do so in, in the next month. 
I would sit here and I would say there's like a 98% chance that the Falcons cut James Carpenter. I would say for Tyler Davidson, maybe that's a 63% chance. And for Dante Fowler, like a 58% chance. So, you know, we'll see about those latter two guys, but I'm pretty certain at some point in the next, you know, four weeks that they will move on from James Carpenter. So um, that's all we have to say about those cuts. And um, we'll get more into the Falcons potential targets at edge rusher uh, out there on the, the upcoming free agent market. And we'll talk, you know, quite extensively about, you know, that guy in Cincinnati by the name of Carl Lawson and and why he is my number one edge rusher available for the Falcons to sign. Uh, And we'll get into that coming up on today's Lockdown Falcons. But before we get there, guys, I want to let you guys know about a flash sale for a new flavor at BuiltBar.com, the place where you can buy the best tasting protein bar out there on the market. And that flash sale is for the Coconut Puff Bar. It has luscious chocolate and soft marshmallow. It's made with premium collagen protein blend. There's 16 grams of protein, 130 calories, and only 6 grams of sugar in the coconut puff bar. It's gluten-free, it's preservative-free, and it's a limited time only one day sale today on Friday over at builtbar.com. And when you go over the builtbar.com, make sure you use that promo code locked on to receive 20% off your next order. Again, that's promo code locked on for 20% off your next order at builtbar.com. Hit up built bar right now and go get that coconut puff bar. So I know you guys want to get more out of the sports that you listen to on the podcast. Why not get all the coverage that you need from all sports, not just the NFL on the locked on today podcast in just under 20 minutes, find locked on today, wherever you get your podcasts. So my top two free agents hindering this off season are as far as the edge rushers go are Shaq Barrett from Tampa Bay and Carl Lawson from the Cincinnati Bengals. We'll see if the bucks let Barrett walk, you know, they might tag him again. Um, but you know, for me, Barrett's, the bigger name guy for a lot of people, but because Lawson is two and a half years younger and presumably will be cheaper um, for me, he's edge one on my list. Um, I think he's a better pass rusher than Shaq Barrett. You know, what's interesting is that you look at Shaq Barrett's uh, sack production and he's only behind TJ Watt in terms of the most sacks generated 27 and a half over the last two years combined. Um, But when you look at beyond sacks, you look at uh, quarterback hits, Carl Lawson is the third highest uh, pass rusher these last two years combined. When you look at quarterback hits per game, only TJ Watt and Joey Bosa are higher than him in terms of averaging hits per game. And, you know, you look at Lawson's pressure rate, you look at how often he hits the quarterback. Essentially he produces in those two stats on par with what you would typically think a double digit sack guy would do, but instead you've only seen him get five and five and a half sacks these past two years. So I feel like Carl Lawson's floor at the very least is again, this is his floor is like a Brandon Graham type of player. Who's a very good pass rusher can be a number two pass rusher. Like we saw Graham be in his prime in Philadelphia and continue. Uh, He's still going strong in Philadelphia, Um, but didn't necessarily put up monster sack production would consistently get like six to 10 sacks, but only had Brandon Graham's only had one double digit sack season in his entire career. So, or I could be wrong about that, but maybe he only had nine and a half sacks his career high. But, um, you know, I, I feel like 
Lawson is a player that's on the verge of a breakout season, similar to how I felt about Shaq Barrett two years ago when I thought he was going to be one of the biggest steals in free agency two years ago. And he wound up being that for the Buccaneers. And, you know, the reasons why I like Lawson so much is I think he's a very technical pass rusher. You know, when you watch him play, his first three steps are identical, regardless of what move he's playing on pulling off, which means that offensive tackles have no idea what he's going to do to them. And he can beat guys in a variety of ways. He can go through them with the bull rush. He can use the long arm he can beat them with speed he can use his hands and chop and and do all those various things so he can beat a variety of offensive tackles in a variety of different ways and I think that makes him a much bigger mismatch across the league because one of the issues that the Falcons have dealt with with their edge rushers whether it's been Dante Fowler whether it's been Vic Beasley whether it's been Tack McKinley is that those guys are typically limited in the ways that they win and so there's only certain types of matchups like Fowler and Beasley or speed guys and Tack is more of a, a power guy and so there's only certain matchups that they typically can take advantage of. And so there's only certain games where you can expect those guys to go off and then they're relatively quiet, uh, relatively average for, you know, a large portion of the remaining games. And I don't think that's going to be an issue with a guy like Lawson because of the ways that he can beat guys. Um, I just think he's a, a very polished pass rusher and is on the verge of stardom. And I would love to see the Falcons sort of reap the benefits of that. Unlike what they weren't able to do two years ago when I was back then advocating for the Falcons to sign a guy like Shaq Lawson. So I have a similar gut feeling now about not Shaq Lawson, Shaq Barrett, Carl Lawson, as I do did about Shaq Barrett. Uh, the only real knock on Carl Lawson to me is durability. Uh, he missed, he's missed time with injuries in like three out of the past six seasons going back to his time at Auburn. But I, I kind of think there's a side benefit of that because I think those concerns may lower his price tag along with the not having high level sack production. Cause you, you look at Spotrack, they have him uh, valued at like 9 million a year pro football focus has him valued at like 14 million a year. So, you know, for me personally, I would happily pay that type of price tag. I would happily pay, you know, 16 to $18 million a year for Carl Lawson, because I look at some of the guys that are making that type of money, the Desarius, the Zedarius Smiths, the Trey flowers, those types of guys. And I look at Carl Lawson. I think he's better than a lot of those guys. Um, so, to me, you know, whatever price tag you can get him at would be a relative bargain, you know, between in that nine to $14 million range. Uh, so, that, you know, we'll see if the Falcons see it that way. I think some other potential free agent signings uh, that the Falcons could target, you know, I don't see them going after guys like Yannick Ngakwe or Jadavion Clowney. I think those guys are going to want big contracts. I don't think the Falcons are going to going to have any desire to offer them those big contracts. Like I, I think if they're going to spend a pretty penny, it's going to be maybe a guy like Carl Lawson, or maybe that's wishful thinking on my part, but I do think there are some other pricey free agents that we could see the Falcons go after this offseason. Those guys are Bud Dupree, Matt Judon, Leonard Floyd, and Trey Hendrickson. And all of those guys with the exception of Dupree uh, have a connection either to this coaching staff or to this front office. Hendrickson is, I think probably the most intriguing out of this four group because, you know, he's shown some steady growth over his time in New Orleans. You know, people will look at his sack totals this past year. He finished tied for second in the league alongside Aaron Donald with 13 and a half sacks. I think that number is probably due for regression, but I think he is a good pass rusher that mostly wins with the bull rush. You know, he was very effective against Jake Matthews in games this year. Eric Fisher was another guy. He routinely whoops up on Donovan Smith, my boy, um, you know, week in and week out when the saints play the, the box. So, you know, he, he certainly has an effective uh, go-to move. You know, I don't know if that bull rush is something that you can expect to produce high levels of sack totals year in and year out, but it is typically good at getting uh, reliable 
pressure off the edge. And if you have that push up the middle uh, or another edge rusher coming off the other side, like the Saints do with Cameron Jordan, that can be in a very effective uh, potentially number three guy, maybe not necessarily a number two guy, but you know, I like Henderson a little bit more in that number two role uh, than I do some of the other guys. I'm, I'm pretty met on Bud Dupree and Matt Judon and, and Leonard Floyd Floyd played for, the Falcons' new outside linebackers t- coach, Ted Monachino, in Chicago, has those local connections from Georgia. We know that he benefited from Aaron Donald this past year. The good thing about Floyd is that he has a good speed rush. He's a good all-around player. He can play the run. He can drop in the coverage. So he's he's kind of a fit, but he he kind of needs to be that complimentary guy across a, a Khalil Mack like he was or, you know – he was productive this past year. He had 12 and a half sacks, including the playoffs, but nine of those sacks came in three games against the Seahawks, right? 10 of his 22 quarterback hits came in those three games against the Seahawks this year, you know, and a lot of those plays were cleanup plays. A lot of those were plays where other guys got pressure and he was able to get the, the sack on Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson was holding onto the ball too long. Those types of things outside of those three games, his, his production was nearly identical to what we saw his production be in Chicago, where he was just kind of like a three to five sack guy, a guy that would get you like a dozen quarterback hits. And that's all he really was. And basically the only thing that changed was not really, it wasn't really Aaron Donald. I mean, it was Aaron Donald, but it was really just basically he feasted off of the Seahawks in three games and that really padded his, his statistics this past year. So there's a buyer's beware on Leonard Floyd, but you got to know what you're getting. You're, you're getting, you're getting Chicago Leonard Floyd. You're not getting the Rams Leonard Floyd, I think at this point in time. Um, Bud Dupree and Matt Judon are similar players. I think they're better pass rushers than Leonard Floyd is, but I do think their numbers are somewhat enhanced by the scheme that they play in because they play in very blitz happy schemes in Pittsburgh and Baltimore. I wouldn't necessarily hate signing either one, but to me, a lot of it depends on price. Like there are the types of guys that I would much feel much better giving like a one year prove it deal, like on an eight to $10 million deal or something like that, rather than giving them like 20, $30 million guaranteed. Um, you know, I, again, I think there are two players that benefit highly from the scheme, the, the system, the supporting cast that they play in particularly a guy like Dupree, like when you play Pittsburgh, you're not really worried about Bud Dupree. You're worried about TJ Watt. You're worried about Cameron Hayward. You're worried about uh, Stefan Tewitt a lot more. Dupree's like the fourth most important guy on that rush. And while you can certainly argue, okay, Grady Jarrett will be our Cam Hayward, you know, TJ Watt slash uh, Stefan Tewitt slash Javon Hargrave aren't walking through that door to sort of be the one in, in, in two or in three guys uh, for that rush. And so I think, you know, Dupree's going to be a disappointment if you try to sign him to be your number two guy he's really more maybe he can be a a third um but he's really more of a fourth option in my opinion and judon's similar although at least in baltimore he's been their most productive pass rusher these past two years um but again i think you know i think the value of judon over a guy like dupree is that judon can do more things he can cover he can play the run a little bit better than dupree does um but like you know, I think the Ravens know his value. Like they know he's a good player, but they also know he's not like a great player. And the reason why they tagged him last year was because they knew that last year's edge class in the draft was not particularly good. And the chances of them finding a better player than Matt Judon were pretty low. I don't know if they're going to do that again this year. So I think the Ravens are kind of telling you how good a player Matt Judon is. So I think there's a buyer's beware on him as well, but I, I will give Dupree credit. I will give Judon credit. You know, Dupree has made steady progress over the course of his career after a very slow start uh, to his career, similar to uh, Hendrickson. But it is concerning to me that when Dupree got hurt last year and they put Alex Highsmith in the lineup, and I, I, I'm a big fan of Alex Highsmith, but like you look at Alex Highsmith's production over those next four or five games with Dupree out on lineup, like in terms of like pressures and quarterback hits, like 
there wasn't any significant drop off from Blood Dupree to Alex Highsmith. And Alex Highsmith's a rookie, relatively raw rookie playing in a, in a brand new system. And that to me is kind of telling you that a lot of Dupree's production is, is a product of the system product of the scheme type of thing. So again, those are two guys that I wouldn't hate if the Falcons were to sign them to like eight to 10 million a year on like a one year deal. But I don't think those are two guys that they're, they're more complimentary guys. And I, I would much rather have some difference makers. And I think Carl Lawson is that guy. And so if that's where we'll leave it with the quote unquote big names and we'll continue and wrap up today's locked on Falcons free agent Friday on the edge rushers, talking about some of the cheaper options. The Falcons may go for maybe going after and getting a veteran player, someone like a Cameron wake, someone like a Ryan Kerrigan to fill a similar role to what we had Dwight Freeney fill, you know, as that third guy uh, a couple of years ago with the Falcons and when they went on the Super Bowl run, and we'll get into some of those guys coming up on today's podcast. But before we get there, guys, I know the NFL season is over, but it doesn't mean that betting season is over. Whether you're betting on football, basketball, hockey, auto racing, MMA, soccer, or hot dog eating contacts, whatever you want, there's only one place that has you covered. One place that I trust that's betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code locked on for your 50% welcome bonus. We got big trade news on Thursday in the NFL with Carson Wentz being traded to the Indianapolis Colts. And maybe you like the odds of the Colts or Eagles winning their division now and you can head on over to betonline.ag to find those maybe you want to bet on the over under for how many passing yards Carson Wentz is going to have with the Colts this year 4,000 is that number touchdown passes 23 and a half interceptions 11 and a half how many starts that Jalen Hurts is going to have this upcoming season 12 and a half over under or whether or not the Eagles will draft the quarterback with the six overall selection it's plus 350 right seven to two odds if the Eagles do draft the quarterback at that six overall selection so take advantage of that don't sit on the sidelines anymore and use that promo code locked on to receive your 50 percent welcome bonus with your first deposit at betonline.ag betonline your online sportsbook experts betting on football doesn't have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new locked on bets podcast hosted by your boy q and handicapping expert lee sterling of paramount sports get your daily picks your daily locks by subscribing to the locked on bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag wherever you get your podcasts so there are plenty of cheaper options if the Falcons want to go that route. You know, I think the primary mid-tier option, I think these are going to be a lot of guys that the, this coaching staff is connected to that they are familiar with that can come in and provide some value for the Falcons with sort of a goal of like, we're going to sign one of these guys, but then we're going to draft somebody probably on like day two of the draft. That to me would be uh, that plan. And I think probably the best mid-tier option would be someone like a Terrell Basham or Tyus Bowser. Those are sort of the guys at the top of the list. Basham played for Ted Monachino in Indianapolis, as well as Frank Bush with the Jets. He's more of a power rusher. He's not going to give you a ton of production as a pass rusher, but you know, you can argue he gives you pretty good bang for your buck. You know, he's shown the last two years with the Jets getting starters reps. He can be like a 30, 40 pressure guy. Um, And basically that's what the Falcons have gotten this last couple of years from guys like Tack and Fowler and Beasley. And, you know, if you're only paying like five or $6 million for it, instead of like the 13 million you paid for Vic Beasley, you know, the 15 million you're playing for Dante Fowler, you know, relatively speaking, that's pretty good bang for your buck. So the thing with Bowser is that he's a pretty athletic guy. 
you know, I think he's more suited to come in and push Michael Walker for that Sam outside linebacker role than necessarily being a potential replacement for a guy like Dante Fowler. Um, but, you know, Bowser's an athletic guy. He can cover. He can play the run or whatnot. He can give you like 30 or so pressures. He can give you some value as a pass rusher, but it's not going to necessarily move the needle. Another guy that fits that role that I don't think is going to be very expensive is going to be someone like a Ryan Anderson from Washington um, who, you know, Kyle Smith drafted uh, there in Washington and is basically a run defender for you that can sort of come in and give you some value there opposite uh, Fowler or whoever that primary pass rusher is. Some veterans that can come in on like a cheap one-year deal that this coaching staff is familiar with that can be that valuable, you know, pass rushing specialist. Guys like Ryan Kerrigan, Pernell McPhee, Barkevious Mingo, Cameron Wake. You know, Mingo is mostly a backup special teams player. Again, more of a run defender coverage guy than a true pass rusher McPhee still has some juice as a pass rusher but he's mostly a really good run defender at this point in time that can come in and, and line up inside or outside on passing downs and give you some value there you know Kerrigan and Wake are really sort of designated pass rushers at this point but Kerrigan's play has really dropped off these last couple of years um and he's still capable of beating up some bad offensive tackles but that's really all you can expect for him at this point in time you know Wake almost signed with the Broncos last year after Von Miller got hurt uh so I think the right offer could lure him back into football but he's going to be 39 this year so you're going to have to make a decent offer to get him off the couch essentially my guess is like three to five million dollars or something on a one-year deal would be enough to do so and he can come in and be that Freeney type of player some other names I'll throw out there Alex Okafor, Noah Spence, guys that have connections to the Saints that Terry Fontenot might be able to, to throw in there. You know, we'll see if guys like Chandler Jones, D Ford, and Preston Smith get cut. Preston Smith comes from Washington, so maybe that would he would be a guy on the Falcons radar. I don't see the Falcons going after Chandler Jones. He's just going to be very pricey, but obviously he could be an impact pass rusher. You know, I think it's going to be interesting to see what the Falcons' plan is at edge rusher. You know, Will McFadden on yesterday's episode talked about, you know, the Falcons already having all four of their linebackers already on the roster, whether we're talking about Deion Jones and Foye Ilkun on the inside and Michael Walker and Dante Fowler being sort of your edge guys. And I think that's certainly a possibility. You know, I think the Falcons are really going to have to make a decision on whether or not they want to keep Fowler or get rid of him. And that decision basically boils down to if you keep Fowler, you're going to have to restructure his contract, you know, do a max restructure, get his price tag down to like $12.5 million this year. And hope that he rebounds or you can bite the bullet and take like the $10.7 million in dead money by making him a post June one cut and use that savings in order to sign your rookie draft class. I think that's the route, the likeliest route that the Falcons will go, but we'll see. I could be wrong about that. You know, and I've said with a guy like Basham, if you're paying him $6 million a year, he's basically half the price of what you would potentially be paying Fowler this year. But ideally he could be like 75% to production that you're probably going to get out of Fowler this year. But as I've said before, I think Fowler will bounce back, but I don't know if he's going to bounce back enough that you're going to feel good about paying him 12 plus million dollars this year, which is part of the reason why I think the Falcons will ultimately move on from him. I mean, if you're going to pay him that much money, you're wanting a guy that's going to give you 50, 60 pressures this year at a minimum. And I just don't know if he's going to be that guy because outside of that one year with Aaron Donald, he's never really been that guy. So you know, I've gone on record saying that I really would like to see the Falcons upgrade their pass rush, you know, get a legitimately good edge rusher to play with Grady Jarrett. 
you know, but we could see a, a scenario where Dean Pease decides, you know, to pull a Mike Nolan and says, look, I can scheme pressure and we can use the draft to upgrade that position. And there should be some legitimate solid options on day two of this year's draft, this year's edge class. As far as I know, I haven't done a deep, deep, deep dive on them, but I've watched most of the guys that are being projected as top 50 picks, you know, is much deeper than last year's draft class where there was like maybe like four guys worthy of a top 50 pick. That number should be like potentially double that number or, you know, close to you know at least six or so guys that are in that conversation. So the Falcons definitely should have some options on day two and round two, round three, round four to upgrade their edge rush. I doubt that the Falcons will stand pat in terms of signing edge rushers in free agents. I think they will probably add a, a, at least a couple of bodies there, but I think the, the draft first strategy sort of needs to be coupled with sort of signing those cheaper veteran options, some of those mid-level guys and necessarily splurging. You know, I would definitely be in favor of the Falcons drafting players, but, you know, I, I think you want to get some immediate help because, like, for me, it's one of those things where I look at it where I feel like the clock is ticking on Grady Jarrett's time here in Atlanta. You know, everybody talks about, oh, the Falcons have wasted Matt Ryan's talent in career, but I'm like, look, we need to talk about wasting Grady Jarrett's talent in career because his contract is up in two years, right? And I know some people are like, well, we can resign him. But, you know, in two years, he's going to be 30 years old. And are you going to pay a premium for whatever the premium is for defensive tackles, top end defensive tackles at that point in his career? $20 million for a 30-year-old defensive tackle, especially when you look at similar players like a Geno Atkins, like a Jarrell Casey that started to slow down around age 31, 32. Uh, You know, Babs' last peak year in 2012 was at age 31. And we saw Babs continue to play well for a couple more seasons. But, you know, it was slowly rolling. You know, that ball was slowly rolling downhill after the age of 31. So, you know, with Grady Jarrett, you're, you're, you're looking at like two or three more peak years for him at this point in time. Um, and, and then starting to see him go downhill and I want to get the most out of those two to three years by giving him somebody on the outside that can provide that reliable pressure on the edge. And the problem is if you go with the draft, chances are pretty high that you're going to wait the better part of three years for that guy to really hit his stride. And so you're just going to have Grady Jarrett, you know, doing, being, by himself, like we've seen the last couple of years for the next two or so years. And so I don't want to necessarily see that happen. That's one of the reasons why I'm so keen on the Falcons, you know, really investing in their edge rusher position in free agency and, and not just sort of relying on the draft, not just relying on mid-tier options. I'm not going to sit here and say that that would be a mistake, but it would just be personally disappointing to me because I think you're going to be resigned to basically having a, a middling pass rush, and then you're just going to have to rest your laurels on, you know, your secondary making significant gains and or DMPs really doing a great job scheming up pressure for the Falcons um, over these next couple of years. Now, the benefit that the Falcons defense is going to have in 2021 is that they're not facing a a ton of great quarterbacks. So that may not be a huge hindrance to this defense showing progress this upcoming season. But, you know, I don't know what the schedule is going to be like in 2022, but we'll see. But like, you know, I don't think you can rely on facing a bunch of question marks at quarterback position for the foreseeable future as the sort of key for your defensive success. So um, I would be in favor of drafting an edge rusher, but I just want to get more of an impact player right away that at the very least we can get two 
you know, these, these potentially last two years of Grady Jarrett here in Atlanta, that we can get somebody alongside him that we legitimately have a one, two punch in terms of that pass rush. So I'm hopeful for that. I'm not going to necessarily hold my breath because I've learned over the years not to put too many expectations on what the Falcons can and will do. Um, so we'll just have, sort of have to see, but again, I think there are options if the Falcons do want to spend at the edge rusher position, assuming that the Bengals don't tag Carl Lawson. If they do tag him, then, you know, that's going to completely throw a wrench in it. And then we're looking at, you know, the Bud Dupree's and the Trey Hendrickson's and the Matt Judon's as the best options available. And then at that point in time, I think you just kind of sign whoever's the cheapest of that group uh, that you can get at the cheapest contract because none of those guys are big, sexy signings at that point in time. And you just sort of getting a guy that, you know, can at least be a competent number two opposite Grady Jarrett. And you hope that then you can find someone who's going to be really good in the draft at that point in time and hope that that guy can, you know, develop faster um, than your typical guy and be an impact pass rusher and be sort of one of those day two home runs or something like that. And that's really your best case plan. But if that's the case and so be it, look again, you know, I've learned, (laughs) I've learned to live with disappointment when you're, when you're a Falcon fan. So, you know, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it, but it's not necessarily the ideal scenario in my mind, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I don't want to, you know, I know I'm I'm ending this on, on a sour note, but you know, basically I'm, I'm, I'm all in on Carl Lawson. That's basically what I'm sitting here saying. Like I'm all in on it. And if it doesn't happen, then I'm, I'm, I'm I am then going to cry myself to sleep at that point in time, but we'll see how it goes guys. Appreciate it guys. We'll, we'll do another uh, free agent Friday next week. Uh, I think we'll probably do safeties next week. I think is the plan. Um, and you know, Monday will be a mailbag and we'll break down a new mock draft. Um, so if you want to send in questions to be answered on Monday's mailbag episode, of course, hit me up on Twitter at lockdown Falcons on Facebook at lockdown Falcons, or you can send an email to lockdown Falcons at mail.com. Appreciate it guys till then.